Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 300. Today is October 13th, 2019. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, hey, I've got a great episode for you today to commemorate the 300th episode of the Wellsteading Podcast. And hey, I want to thank all of you that have been with us. Some of you going back all the way to the very first episode which was recorded on the 4th of July weekend way back in 2014. And I'm looking forward to many, many more years of episodes and podcasts to come. And speaking of listener appreciation, I do have a date and a location for a well-setting meetup in Dallas-Fort Worth, November 10th. It'll take place at 2 p.m. at a place called The Tavern at Lakeside. Now, those of you that have already contacted me, you're on the list I'll be including you in any updated information that comes along. And you don't need to you know, buy tickets or anything uh, or even necessarily RSVP. But if you do notify me over at either investablewealth.com or wealthsteading.com, if, if you let me know you're coming, that way I at least know how many people to expect. And if there's any last minute changes, I can email you out a notification on it. So in any case, I look forward to meeting with you. It'll be a chance to answer your questions, spend you know an hour or two together, get to know you and answer whatever kind of personal financial questions you may have. The other thing that I wanted to mention before we get into today's content is that this is going to be a show that you're going to want to listen to over and over again, particularly those of you that tend to get paranoid and get all caught up in the headlines. Now, if you ever want to go back and listen to any episode of the podcast, the podcast syndicators, people like iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play, they only have the most recent 100 episodes listed. But all the episodes are archived at wellsteading.com. You can go to the website. You can play the episodes directly at the website. You can download them as an MP3 format and listen to them later. And the easiest way to find the episode that you're looking for is to remember this little trick. All the episodes have the URL www.wellsteading.com slash and then whatever the episode number is. So if you want to go back and re-listen to today's episode, you could go into your browser and put in wellsteading.com slash 300 and that would take you to today's episode. And that works for all the episodes. So if you want to go back and listen to the ninth wealth building principle about being a giver, well, you just put in wellsteading.com slash nine, just the number nine. And then, of course, once you're in any particular episode, you can scroll forward or backward from that episode because they're all listed in sequential order. I hope that helps because I know I've gotten a lot of questions where people are looking for episodes and they can't find an easy way to get there. Well, hey, and now on to today's episode. What I wanted to do for the 300th episode, and I know I haven't gotten some material out here lately, that was done on purpose. I was really trying to make the 300th episode special, and I wanted to emphasize how to identify real threats to the economy or real threats to when the market's going to go up or down. And that's because so many people are caught up in the headlines. And since the headlines, by their very nature, are designed to be negative because that's what gets your attention, that's the clickbait, and that's how they pull you into all the minutia of the irrelevant staticky news, things that you don't need to pay attention to. In today's episode, I do want to go through and review the last few months of market activity because there's been a lot of market ups and downs and a lot of crazy negative headlines. And yet here we are at the end of the day, the market is within, oh, about one and a half percent from an all-time record high. And it's very likely that despite all this negative news, we could be setting up to go into a really nice Santa Claus rally to end out the year. So before I give you 
a very simple litmus test to use to determine whether or not we're in an existential threat, something that's really going to be detrimental to the economy or to the stock market, or whether it's just all noise and something you can ignore. I'll get to that in a minute. I think it's really important to review some of the negative headlines that have caused the market to move in a very volatile fashion, even though there's been no real change to the value of what's going on in the economy. If you go all the way back to August 1st, Trump threatens new tariffs on the Chinese. And then a few days later, the Chinese devalue their currency by 2%. And then the war of words keep escalating and you get into near the end of August and the Chinese impose additional tariffs on U.S. products as retaliation. There's all types of fear and panic and trepidation in the market. If you look at retail investor sentiment, it's at near all-time lows, you know, going back to as bad as things were in the 2008 market meltdown. And that's really a tell, and that's something I talked about not only in this podcast, but also over in the blog at investablewealth.com, where I point out that investor sentiment, in particular retail investor sentiment, that's something that can be tracked by using the American Association of Individual Investors weekly survey. You can use that as a contrarian indicator. Usually when those guys are all in a tizzy and they're worried that the sky is going to fall, well, that almost always indicates the bottom of a market. And that's exactly what we saw around August 23rd. Bearish indicators were extremely high with individual investors, and that correlated almost precisely to the bottom of the market in August. And this had been a triple bottom during the month of August, pretty much every week in August, the market would come down and hit another low. But then the last week of the month, Trump comes out with some happy talk. He hints that there may be some progress in the trade talks. And the market starts moving up. And then the next week, on August 6th, the Chinese come out with some happy talk. They say, yeah, we're definitely going to come to Washington, D.C. We're going to continue the trade talks. In fact, the Chinese go so far as to walk back some of their previous tariffs that they had put on U.S. products, and the market is eating this up. It looks like things are going to break out, go on to all-time record highs, and then devastation sets in September 26th. Nancy Pelosi announces that she's going to have an impeachment inquiry into Trump's Ukrainian conversation. And for the next two weeks, you have a market sell-off. Along in those two weeks, you also get some negative manufacturing numbers. And suddenly, this is kind of funny, suddenly everyone in the media is talking about manufacturing numbers and declining ISM. And these are people that don't even have a clue what that means. And you can take the words that they're saying and just transpose inverted yield curve into it, which is what they had been preaching for the months before about how the inverted yield curve, we were, we were going into a recession because of the inverted yield curve. Well, just replace inverted yield curve with manufacturing numbers and the ISM number. And that was just, we were just headed for a recession. But you know what? It was just all talk. And it was talk leading up to the October 9th and 10th meeting in Washington, D.C. between the Chinese and the U.S. negotiators and the trade war, the deal that people said was never going to get done. Here we are just about one year away from the presidential election. Somehow, almost magically, we come to an agreement with the Chinese, at least in principle. And you'll notice, too, that this is being touted not as a comprehensive deal, but as a phase one deal. And there could be two or three more phases to come. This allows both President Trump to go back 
and tell his country that he's getting what he wants out of the Chinese and it still gives him plenty of ammunition should the Chinese not keep up on their side of the deal or if they start to renege on things, he has the threat of tariffs hanging over their head and he's going to drum that up and use that for the next 12 months as we go into his re-election. And he talks about how he stood up to the Chinese and how he's fighting for American jobs and all that, yada, 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 right? Just like magic, a year before the election, that occurs. And at the same time, it allows President Xi to go to his country and to tell his people, hey, I'm getting over on the U.S. We're going to relinquish these tariffs and we're not letting the United States push us around anymore. And it's just great political theater for both countries. And yet this outcome has been totally predictable. There was virtually no way that it was going to be gloom and doom. I thought that this was something that could have been resolved in six months. It's taken about 20 months to play out. But it is playing out. And it's just a matter of policy decisions that can change on a dime and are not true existential threats to the economy. And that's why right now, today, we look at the stock market and it was up almost 1.1% on Friday. Emerging markets were up, oh, I think uh, in the neighborhood of 1.7, 1.8%. We sit about a little more than a percent and a half from an all-time record high on the S&P 500. And I think it's very likely that if a couple more things go positively here in the month of October, then without a doubt, we're being set up for a very nice Santa Claus rally to close out the year. Because just around the corner, we have another Federal Reserve meeting coming up the last week in October, and it'll depend what they decide to do there. If they lower rates, I think it would definitely help the market along and help us finish out the year strongly. On the other hand, if they talk very hawkish and they talk about raising interest rates or the fact that they're even at normal rates at this point, I think that could be detrimental for the market. So we, we don't know yet. We have to wait and get through that Federal Reserve meeting. But remember, they've already talked about the fact that basically all their policy decisions from last year were wrong. Last year, they gave us four rate increases. So far this year, they've taken two of those away. Last year, they withdrew $700 billion of liquidity out of the economy. That was part of their quantitative tightening program. Well, this past week, they told us they went too far and they're going to start you know, moving in with another $200, $250 billion, putting that back into their balance sheet. So they've really walked back all their bad policy decisions from last year. And we just need them to close out this year with the October meeting and then the December meeting in the FOMC. We need them to close that out saying that they're going to continue some type of easing. As long as they talk about easing and being very dovish, then virtually nothing else is going to matter about this economy. It always comes down to the Federal Reserve, and this time is no different. The other one big thing that's hanging out there, and this is more for global markets than it is specifically for the U.S., but that's the Brexit talks. For right now, they're scheduled to come to a conclusion on October 31st. Whether they have a hard Brexit, or I suspect they're going to come to some type of a negotiation, or maybe they'll even kick the can down the road for a few more months. But once we get through that, I think that'll help stabilize the international markets as well. But here's the bottom line. It all comes down to what's an existential threat versus what's just a policy decision or some kind of type of noise or static that you can ignore. And I've thought about this a lot. I'm going to put this into really, really simple terms. And this is so simple, 
that like I said, you might have to come back and listen to this episode a couple more times, especially the next time you're petrified when you hear some negative headline. But it all really comes down to putting your, your mind into a frame of mind where you're able to simply identify what's a real threat and what's not a threat. And so let me break this down to the most simplest of terms. And I'll do this with an analogy. Let's imagine in our first situation that you're driving through the Mojave Desert. It's 120 degrees out. You haven't passed another car or seen any type of civilization for a couple hours. You're in the middle of nowhere. All of a sudden, you hear a little dinging coming from your dashboard. You look down and you see that you're not only on empty, you're well below empty. And you're about to run out of gas at any minute. Well, you, my friend, are in an existential threat. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's 120 degrees out. No one's coming to your aid. As soon as you run out of gas, you're not only going to not be able to get anywhere, but your air conditioning is going to go out. You probably don't have any fresh water to drink. And you, my friend, are likely to die. That is an existential threat. Now let's compare that to something that's simply a policy decision. But same environmental conditions. It's 120 degrees out. This time, instead of being in the Mojave Desert, you're driving down the Las Vegas Strip. There's people everywhere. You're sitting at a red light, and all of a sudden, you look down and you realize you're totally out of gas. But you look over to your left, and there's a gas station there. Gas is $3 a gallon. Even though you're on empty, you know that there's two or three gas stations on every block. And you're pretty sure that if you just go another block or two, you're going to find a gas station where you can buy your gas for, you know, two seventy-five or something under $3 a gallon, and you don't want to get ripped off. And so you're making the policy decision to drive a little bit further to buy gas at a cheaper price. And if this scenario goes bad for you, the worst case is you're going to run out of gas, but you're only going to be a block or so from another gas station where you can fill up. Do you see the difference here? In scenario two, you're out of gas only because of a policy decision. You have the money, you have the opportunity, you're just deciding to wait a little longer to buy the gas, and even if you run out, no big deal. You're not gonna die, you're not gonna get heat exhaustion, you're not going to go without water and die of thirst. But in our first scenario, all those things are likely. The problem in both of these scenarios isn't the fact that you're running out of gas. That's just the headline. That's what the news media is always going to do. They're going to throw that negative headline up there. You're out of gas. You're out of gas. Well, that's not necessarily an existential threat. In the second example, while it's true you're running out of gas, there's still plenty of it around. It's only in the first example, when you're out in the middle of the Mojave Desert, that there's, number one, not only no gas, but number two, the temperatures are so extreme that that's what's going to kill you. That's the difference between an existential threat and a policy decision. Most of the things you hear in the media are going to hype up the negativity without giving you any type of insight into the facts of whether this is an existential threat or not. They're just going to hype up all the negativity. Oh, the world's coming to an end. It's an inverted yield curve. Ah, oh, the world's coming to the end. It's a bad ISM jobs number. Ah, oh, the world's coming to an end. Blah, 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 fill in the blank. It's your responsibility to logically think what's going on and say, well, gee, if the yield curve is inverted, is that because the world's running out of money? Or is it simply because the Federal Reserve or other central banks have tightened up their lending policies or tightened up their interest rates? 
And if it's the latter, if it's simply a policy decision, well, that decision can be reversed, just like we've seen over the past six or seven months. Likewise, if it's, you know, the threat of tariffs, that's, that's going to create a slowdown in the global economy and the Chinese economy is the worst it's been in 30 years. And, you know, hear all this gloom and doom and how it's inevitable that we're going to go into a recession and there's going to be an economic collapse. Well, no, not necessarily. Because the reason there are tariffs and the reason there's this rift with the trade talks is simply a policy decision that can potentially be worked out. Right now, the reason I've been so positive on the economy for at least the last three years, and that's in face of a lot of really volatile ups and downs and bad news in the markets, but the reason that I've been so optimistic is because I haven't seen any of this negativity being backed up with a real threat. Right now, interest rates and availability of money is rampant throughout the economy. So that's a good thing. Money is available for capital projects as well as for consumer spending. And energy, energy prices are not only reasonable, and in fact, by a lot of historical standards, they're quite low. But not only that, they're freely available virtually everywhere in the world, especially in the United States. And when you have an availability of money and capital and credit and energy prices are low, well, that plays into the fact that then you also have jobs and you have economic expansion. And when you have that, you have consumers that are making money and they're spending it. And that's exactly what we've been seeing for the last three years. Money, energy, and consumer spending are all readily available and those counteract any of these negative policy decisions that we're hearing. So let me just wrap this up by giving you one real world example to the two scenarios I just gave. Something that is not an existential threat, it's being hyped up in the media, is the Brexit. You see, I can't predict the future. I don't have a crystal ball. But I'm going to tell you this with 100% certainty. On October 31st, whether there's a Brexit deal or whether there's a hard Brexit or whether the can is kicked down the road, no matter what scenario plays out, what I can absolutely 100% guarantee is the day after, on November 1st, the sun is going to rise in the east. I mean, the fact that there's going to be contention between the United Kingdom and Europe and there may be tariffs or something may be more expensive, something may be more inconvenient to purchase, some GDPs may get affected, but the sun is still going to rise on November 1st. It's not like there are tanks and artillery and fighter aircraft lined up on the English Channel to attack on either side should the Brexit deal go bad. None of that's going to happen. No wars or loss of life are going to take place. This is simply policy decisions. If the Germans and the French want to cut their nose off to spite their face and make things really difficult on the British, well, you know what's going to happen? The British will retaliate. They'll put tariffs on German automobiles and on French wine and cheese. And since the Europeans export more into Britain than Britain exports into Europe, the United Kingdom at the end of the day has the upper hand. And so at a worst case, they're going to come to a, some kind of a stalemate. The Europeans don't like the concept of Brexit. They want to try and squelch it as much as they can. But the bottom line at the end of the day is they still want to sell their products into the United Kingdom. And so they'll come to some type of a deal. It's not an existential threat. It's simply a policy decision. Now let's contrast that with something that's going on on the other side of the globe and something that is an existential threat 
And that's the protest by the people in Hong Kong. That isn't simply a matter of policy. You have protesters in Hong Kong that are young, that are fearless, and people that feel that they don't have anything to lose. We're into the fourth month now. Neither side is backing down, and I don't think either side can afford to back down until some type of a resolution comes about. And the likely outcome of this is the very real existential threat of severe violence. If neither side can come to some type of a peaceful decision, then this will keep escalating until the point where you're either going to have brute force coming down from the Chinese, or you're going to have asymmetric, terroristic attacks from the Hong Kong people. In either case, it could create rollover effect to not only the Asian economies, but depending upon how bad things got, and if it turned into a currency crisis, we could see some major impact on the U.S. economy as well. Now, I would hope it wouldn't go to those extremes, but the violence that's going on in Hong Kong is an existential threat, unlike the simple policy decisions that we see in London. So there you have it. The next time you're all panicked because of a headline that's got you scared to death, come on back, re-listen to episode 300, and think through the situation logically before you get all emotional and end up selling at the bottom of the market. Hey, as always, thanks so much for listening. Until the next episode, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.